Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and today I'm here joined by my producer, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Steph. And this is um, another edition of what I think should be a regular feature, which is Stephanie and Jimmy consume too much true crime. <laughs> I think it definitely should be a regular feature because we, we seem to have uh, an excess of these. We do have an excess of true crime to talk about. We have like just talked about all things true crime before so this is just part of a continuation <laughs> special series of stephanie and jimmy have a morbid curiosity for true crime yes so the way we're going to do it is we're both going to um, bring some true crime mm-hmm. books and podcasts um and i'll start then we'll throw jimmy back and forward etc so the first um thing i wanted to talk about today was a true crime book um about jack ripper but that is actually incorrect because it's not about Jack the Ripper. It is called The Five by Hallie Rubenhold, who is a historian um, of the 19th century. And she wrote a book called The Five about Jack Ripper's victims. Oh, okay. Yep. And it's really interesting because those stories have never really been told. I mean, it sounds mm. so ridiculous because there's such a um, cultural fascination with everything Jack the Ripper. It's really quite disturbing when you realise you don't actually know anything about the women mm. um, and that their stories have been completely elided in the clamour to, you know, figure out who Jack the Ripper is, which, let's face it, we will never do yes. um, because there's no possible way from this point onwards um, to ascertain that. Um, she figured out through her research that um, at least three of the five victims were not sex workers. Oh, okay. Um, the stereotype is that they were all sex workers. Yes. There is no evidence to suggest that is true for oh, wow. three of them, which is, yeah, that's. I, well, I was no, really I, surprised I, by yeah. that too. I always thought they all were yeah. sex workers. So that, that, that's really surprising. That is really surprising. And that's kind of like the mythology of how he found his victims. But in mm. fact, she figured out um, most of them were sleeping rough. Um, one of them, Mary Jane Kelly, the the last Final victim, was victim, certainly yeah. was certainly a prostitute, and one of them had been a sex worker in Sweden, yeah. um, but wasn't necessarily working as a, as a sex worker at the time. Um, but there were certainly women in desperate circumstances. Oh, okay. So it's likely they were sleeping rough, and he actually came upon them while they were sleeping. So he's an opportunist. So he's an opportunistic killer, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that really kind of punctures that sense that he's like this, you know, criminal mastermind. Mm. It's quite, not easy, but like it, it's it's quite a different proposition to come across, you know, women who may be drunk, sleeping rough and killing them in their sleep versus, yes. you know, some kind of mastermind who's managed to... Who's plotting and who's planning plotting. all this, yes. Yeah. So that, that is a definitely a different view of Jack the Ripper. And it is so interesting to mm. hear, that, you know, she goes through each victim in the order that they're killed, but she actually does not narrate their murders. She okay. just ends on their last day. And you just know what where they are in space on their last day, but she doesn't talk about the murders and she doesn't talk about Jack the Ripper. Um, some of their stories are really surprising. Some of them started off not necessarily in sort of middle-class homes, but certainly not desperate poverty. Mm. Um, and some of them were in um, quite reasonable circumstances-ish mm-hmm. for the time. And then um, based on um, addiction or marriage breakdown, ended up quite you know stressed and on the streets. Um, why haven't these women's stories been told? I mean, it's just well, really th- surprising, isn't it? I think it's because probably most of us have bought into the, the idea that they were all prostitutes. Yeah. And, and so we just sort of went, well, that's all we really need to know. Um, and nobody thought to really yeah. go in, into any further. Because when, when you talked about the five, I thought, okay, well, what do I know about the five? Um, and I thought, well, they were all sex workers. That's about it. I know that um, uh, final victim, Mary Kelly, uh, she had the most brutal murder yes, and yes. everyone seemed to concentrate on her one because th- there are photographs of her which I refuse to look at mm. because they're just so gruesome. Um, mm. Even the description itself was enough to sort of turn me off. Mm. Um, and that's really all we, we know. And, and I think you know it's one of the things that often comes across when, when we listen to or we read about uh, true crime that when the victims are sex workers, they often get sidelined. Like nobody yeah. seemed to, you know, not even the police seem to care. They're kind of like, oh, well, you know. Or it's constructed as if they, you know, their lifestyle has, has is is a kind of justification for their Yes, murder. because you know they're immoral characters, so therefore yeah. you know they kind of got what they deserve, which is a terrible thing to think of because nobody deserves. Yeah, like, yeah. and the, and the way that it's you know what do they expect? They're on the streets. Yeah, you know? yeah. So which makes you know this revelation much more interesting because it it, it does exactly what you say. It turns him from being this sort of um, master 
cunning criminal to an opportunist who sort of picked people because, well, he saw the opportunity and, and he went for it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the the kind of cultural space that he occupies is is this mastermind, as you said, and, you know, we think of him as getting away with his crimes because he is some kind of brilliant brain, mm. but in actual fact, like, it is really difficult. Yeah. It would have been really difficult at that time to, yes. to, to construct any kind of case against anybody, mm. um, especially due to the manner in which he, he carried out the murders. I mean, it would be either being caught red-handed or that's it, pretty much it. And, yeah. you know, he was lucky he got away. Um, and, you know, he doesn't deserve this kind of space. We, we need to... Well, this mythology, about, really, yeah. that's built around Jack the Ripper. You know, you, you say Jack the Ripper and everybody immediately Everybody knows, knows what he means, yeah. Yeah, he's become, you know, as much as I, I don't like the idea, he's almost become a culture hero in itself. Yeah, he has, and, yeah. Um, a, a very repugnant one. Maybe a cultural, a, a culture villain, we'll call him that. Yeah, like a... I mean, but there is a kind of... Um, almost admiration in the way he's talked about as if, you know, well, because he's, he's so clever that he evaded yeah. detection and all of this. Rubbish. I mean, he's, he's the, in a way, ultimate um, unsolved case. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's sort of defined as one of the first um, well-publicised serial killers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and launched, in a way, this whole true crime fascination as well because it's, it's well, how did he do it? Yeah. Uh, and it does, because I, I have been thinking about some of these ideas, um, especially with all the vast amount of things that uh, <laughs> true crime that I consume, uh, that sometimes the uh, the criminals that we think are the most devious, often they're just very lucky. Yeah. They just happen to be at the right place at the right time and they just happen to elude um, capture for whatever strange reasons. I mean, you know, when we talked about the, the Golden State uh, killer, you know, nothing about what he did was particularly clever or cunning or anything of that nature. You know, you know when I think of uh, clever killers. I always think of a uh, Hannibal Lecter for some reason. And it's fictional ones. And it's yeah, fictional yeah, ones, absolutely. you know. Because they're uh, not that actually, they're clever. Even like to, um, Ted Bundy, we were talking about like how um, last time we recorded about the Ted Bundy movie, um, you know, he just was driving around with his murder implements in his car. Yeah. You know? Like they were actually quite, you know, foolish for, for the yeah. most part. He uh, just, and he got caught because he was at a traffic stop and they found like women's bloody stockings in his backyard. Yeah. You know, in the boot of the car. Yeah, so... <laughs> what do you know. mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think we do build uh, a strange mythology uh, yeah, around... We, yeah. yeah. I mean, even people like, you know, the Zodiac, mm. again, another famous case, uh, and, you know, was he actually quite brilliant or is it just the fact that, you know, there wasn't um, the kind of technology to capture him yeah. back then that, you know, made him um, uh, sort of, yeah, um, get, get captured, so... I think it's a really interesting spin. Does she go into what possible motivation or what links no. these these women in any sort of way? No. Yeah. Um, she's not interested at all in Jack the Ripper um, mm. because there's been, you know, there is a whole industry of mm. Jack the Ripper kind of um, material out there and so she's only interested in the women and it's more of a social history mm. of, of, you know, poverty and addiction and um, homelessness um, in late Victorian Britain more than it is in fact, true crime. Mm. But it is linked to true crime, obviously, because they are victims of a, of a terrible, terrible crimes. Mm. Um, it's interesting, too, that she's actually become... The, the Hallie Rippenhold, who wrote it, has actually come under attack from ripperologists. Oh. So ripperologists are the people that, you know, become, mm. you know, devote their lives to trying to, you know, push their own weird theory about who Jack the Ripper is. Um, and there's been a lot of pushback from primarily men um, about her contention that there's no evidence that... Most of them were sex workers. Mm. A lot of men in the reprology community really insisting that they were sex workers. And I think that's a really interesting phenomenon. Why are we so insistent? Mm. You know, why is it, why is that a kind of like plank that they're willing, you know, the, the hill they're willing to die on? Mm. Well, I think it, it gives currency to the lack of focus yeah. on, the, on the victims. You know, as much as we dislike it, there's still a stigma around yeah. sex workers uh, and there really isn't, you know, when it's discovered that a victim is a sex worker, that's that's it. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's the end yeah. of the story, you know. Yeah, exactly. It is. They they, they ha- there's the place that they have in the in the Jack the Ripper mythology is that they have to be sex workers mm. and they have to have kind of therefore, mm. quote unquote, deserve their fate. Yeah. In order for that whole mythology to make sense. And I suppose it also plays in nicely with um, how we define serial killers too mm. they have to fit a particular pattern mm. and say so if they're all sex workers well that's the pattern he only targets you know, yeah. uh, sex workers but it doesn't need to be that I mean he, uh, 
what she has to identify there is in a way a form of pattern. You know, she, he's, yeah, he's, they're easy yeah, prey. They're easy prey. You know, because they're poor. He's, yeah, yeah, he's targeted people who are either down on their luck or you know mm-hmm. who you know uh, he's an opportunist from from that perspective. So mm. uh, I think there is that pattern. So yeah, no, it is very interesting that mm. we are getting pushbacks about. You know. Yeah, they're crazy. Anthropologists <laughs> are crazy. Do not come after me. Do not at me. Um, <laughs> no, but they are really quite crazy. Like the trolling that the. Um, that Hallie Rubenhold's getting is just out of control. Wow. And you think, you know, this is a guy who mm. is dead. Yeah. These are people, everybody alive at that time is dead. Well, especially it's, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> you know? it's like um, the Lizzie Borden people. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're quite you know, fanatical too about mm. um, what they know about Lizzie Borden. And, yeah. You know, so it's, it, it's funny how these serial killers get almost generated fandom in this odd way. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is something that we touched on with the whole Ted Bundy yeah. uh, story, but there is a strange sort of fandom mm. about them. I, I always found it very, I mean, I'm fascinated by serial killers, but I don't think there's one single that I sort of, you know, glom onto as, as yeah, the one yeah. that I, I'm really, really fascinated by. We're very Catholic in our true Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, most of the time <laughs> we're kind of like, okay, that's about all I need to know about that particular. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we, we like a variety of stories. We're not, we're, neither of us have got like murder boards we're, in our home. We're not elitists. <laughs> no, no, no. In that sense. Yeah, so I usually have a, a quota, but you know, that, that's a really interesting text. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the five. Mm. Um, what's your first text that you bought for well, us today? I actually thought of changing it up because I, I saw an opportunity and I decided to go for it. Yes. So, uh, Jimmy is also opportunistic, I am but opportunistic. not a serial killer. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, because um, one of the true crimes that I'm really, really obsessed over at the moment, a, a podcast is called uh, Cold Case Files. Mm-hmm. And what you were just talking about there really reminded me of this podcast. So I thought I'd just go straight to that, to that yep. particular podcast. Um, so the entire uh, premise of, of Cold Case Files is they look at cases that were uh, considered cold cases, so cases that were unsolved, for quite a long time, but for whatever miraculous reasons, it does get solved. Right. So they're really, really interesting from that perspective because it could go, uh, it could be a cold case for 30 years and some of them do go for 30, 40, some Well, like some the Golden 50. State Killer guy. Exactly, yeah. you know, so yeah. I think that kind of launched the entire um, mm. look into cold case files. Um, and so they always try to track when the case actually goes cold mm-hmm. and then who picks it up afterwards mm-hmm. and what they did. So it, there's a focus on the actual um, investigative work, mm-hmm. which I'm really fascinated by, um, and just sort of tracing where where it went wrong in the investigation, so where, where they hit a, a dead end, and then why it was picked up again, and, right. and how is it they were able to solve it further down the track. A lot of the time it has to do with DNA. I mean, that, I think that kind of has changed quite a lot of mm. the way um, cases are solved. But what I really, really like about this particular series is A, there's, uh, I hate, uh, absolutely, well, I don't hate it, it's a strong word, but, but I don't enjoy listening to uh, unsolved cases, mainly because I feel it's unresolved. and That's life, Jimmy. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. And, you know, I hate things that make me angry, as you well know. Uh, so. It's not the podcast for society. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, you know, unsolved cases just sort of leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. And we're like, no, no that, that, that just feels unresolved to me. And that's the whole nature of it. Yeah. So I love cold case files because at the end of every single case, you know it's going to get solved. It's the same certainty that um, you see in this Sherlock Holmes story. Exactly. That's why mm-hmm. I love Sherlock Holmes. You know, I, I love <laughs> that um, that resolution. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love the fact that with a lot of these criminals, you know, they thought they got away with it for so long and then they don't. Yeah. And I think, okay, um, my only complaint about the series, and it's a very small complaint, I suppose, is that I, I love the woman, I've forgotten her name now, uh, who actually does the, who hosts the entire podcast. Mm. Uh, so the, the, the podcast itself is based off an A&E series of the same name, Cold Case Files. And I actually tried to watch the series um, and I just couldn't get through it because it was just, it was everything I hate about true crime, to be honest. Yeah, the sensationalist. The sensationalist, yeah. you know, the um, the reenactment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I don't like, like it. Exactly, you yeah. know, the music that they play, the, the building up of music, suspense, yeah, and yeah. oh, like I just hate all that stuff. So um, I couldn't watch this television series. What I love about her narration is that she has a very um, straightforward approach. She'll just give you the facts of the case. Uh, she does have a very strong moral stance, which I don't mind so much. You know, sometimes they can get a little bit preachy, but she doesn't. I think she's coming at it from the perspective of, you know, was justice actually met? Mm. You know, so she she always asks that question at the end of of particular series. You know, is this justice? And her answer is usually, well, I'm not quite sure. You know, how do you define a life? You know, how how yeah. do you you know say what's worth 
a life. You know, he he may pay for it with his life, but what about you know, her life? Yeah, that was it can the, never be. Yeah, so I think she approaches it from a very um, empathetic and intelligent perspective. So I, I love her narration. The part that I have a problem with is that she's not always the narrator. Oh, no. <laughs> so every now and then they bring in these classic case files, and it's um uh, it's the guy who origin originated the series, and he's not bad. Like you know, it, it's still good, but. I kind of like her approach to it, so mm-hmm. it feels a little bit uneven for me from that perspective. Right. Um, but I love the concept. Uh, I love most of the episodes that I, I listen to, and the good news is that there's hundreds of episodes. So. Excellent. So <laughs> lots and lots of hours of entertainment. Yes, lots and hours of resolution, which I yeah. love. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing, Jeff Ripper, never going to be resolved. Yeah, I know, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I haven't really paid too much attention to Jack the Ripper, because I thought, mm. look, there's no way that it could be resolved. Although, you know, looking at the uh, technological advancements in the last um, 10 years or so, maybe there's still a possibility. Perhaps. But then people say that, like, you know, there was a story about um, a shawl that was belonged mm. to one of the victims or was found on one of the victims. But, like, there's no chain of custody. You know, uh, yeah. it could have been somebody's house for, like... It could have been anybody. You know, yeah. the hundred... In, who knows how many people touched yeah. it in the last 130, 20, 120 yeah. years. Um, I mean, I know, did... How I, could you possibly identify DNA? Exactly. I did see a BBC uh, series on Jack the Ripper, um, and they it was a forensic show, and they tried to uh, restage uh, Mary Kelly's death scene to try to figure out mm-hmm. if they uh, had any evidence that they could trace back and, and try to um, trace who Jack the Ripper is. And at the end of the episode, it's kind of like, no. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the answer. I know, and I thought it went, okay, well, so much no, for that. There's, there's going to be no resolution, Jimmy. There's going to be no resolution, yeah. So, hence, you know, not... I mean, maybe the Zodiac, there might be a resolution, because that's more recent. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's no going to be But again, on Cold Case File, um, one of the killers they identified, they said it's very possible that he could also have been the Zodiac. Zodiac, yeah. Um, because I think the... they'll find the Zodiac eventually. Yeah, well, because when yeah. they captured him, you know, he had... Um, he, he refused to talk. I forgot his name now. He, mm. he refused to talk about any of the, the cases that they pinned him down for mm. with DNA evidence. But they also trace his travelling records because he was he travelled around different parts of America mm. and he was, you know, uh, at San Francisco, I think it was, Yeah. Uh, at the time. That... Yeah, so it's possible that he could... Yeah. Well, and that's what they say about a lot of serial killers that, like, mm. you know, these unsolved cases are actually solved because they're in jail for something else. Yes. Or they haven't... Oh, they are actually in jail for a murder, mm. but it's just they haven't admitted to all of them, you know. Yeah, um, you know, and that's why they stop. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the case that fascinates and infuriates me a lot of the times are the ones who have been captured and whose evidence have basically proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they mm. you know, committed the crime, but who refuse to shed light on any. I mean, mm. you know, they're down for life or they're down for you know um, mm. uh, uh, death row anyway, and yet they still refuse to give up that information like I mean that just I was like the last yeah. decent thing you can do the can you at least up. not do that the yeah. jigs up is yeah. how you did it I know and you know would it hurt you that much just to yeah just to spill just to spill the beans and, and they just refuse to do it yeah um, you know in a way Bundy was the same yeah and, yeah yeah and, well and it was it was only at the 11th hour yeah, that he did it. And it was, it. in a way, it was just to try to prolong his... You know, yeah, it was self-serving. Exactly, so... But, like, you know, self-serving, but still kind of useful. Yeah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, know, you give a lot of family, you know, a lot of peace. You know, yeah. If you could just do something like that. But I suppose, you know, <laughs> how can you ask that of a serial killer, I guess? Yeah, I know. They're not. They're beyond rationality. Yeah. By virtue of their very existence. Yeah, so that's that's my first... That's your first pick. Okay, so my second pick is another novel. Oh, no, well, it's not a novel, sorry. A true, it's a non-fiction mm. true crime account. I haven't finished this one. I'm still listening to it on audiobook, but it's called Furious Hours by Casey Sepp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a... It's basically picking up a true crime project that Harper Lee tried to write, but didn't... Oh, I know this one. Yeah, yes, I have yeah. read about this, yes. Um, it's, it just came out recently and it's gotten yes. quite a bit of media about it. Um, mm. So Harper Lee went to the um, conviction, went to the trial, sorry, of um, in this case and she never picked up or wrote the book. And mm. I'm not up to the bit of the book about that yet, so I don't <laughs> actually know the answer to that question. But um, basically there's a, um, a preacher in mm. um, Alabama in the, in the 1970s and it's actually his murder that she goes to the trial mm. of. 
But this preacher, this murder was a kind of like retaliation murder because this preacher... Because he was quite a vile person. Yeah. He was a serial killer. Yeah. He killed, so far, he's killed two wives and his mm. brother and possibly his one of his wives' uh, former husbands um, for life insurance claims. Mm. So um, he, yeah, he sort of stages their murders and says, you know, nothing to do with me. Um, and then, you know, you find out that like two days beforehand he's you know, lodge this huge life insurance policy that he then is paid out. Um, anyway, so I'm still up to the bit about him. I'm not up to the bit about Harper Lee okay. and why she hasn't, you know, she went there intending to write a book about it, but she mm. never did. So I'm not I'm not there yet. But um, the story about him is fascinating because mm. it's really, again, a social history of, you know, the time and, you know, these, these preachers and also the life insurance industry and, african-american life in the south at this particular moment in time um it's really really well written it's really interesting um there's a lot of like local color kind of um stories about mm. the area um it's yeah it's 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 interesting to think about his this the story that she wanted to write was somebody sort of retaliating and killing him before he kind of you know killed everybody he knew yes. <laughs> um, in order to to lodge their life insurance claims. And she does some really interesting things around like how um, poor African-American families were often targeted by unscrupulous life insurance mm. salesmen and he sort of weaponized that back against the life insurance companies, which, you know, isn't good because, you know, he yes. killed like four people potentially by this point in, in the book. Um, and I'm only up to like the first... 30% of the book or something. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he has more to come. Um, there's also interesting stuff about um, his perception amongst his neighbours because at first he was, you know, he's a preacher, so he's yes. taken very seriously. But then after, you know, he starts to shed family members, there's all these claims that he's a voodoo oh, practitioner. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she does a lot of interesting stuff around the history of voodoo in the South and, you know, those um, how... Um, spiritual and religious practices from Africa were kind of um, perceived as, you know, black magic. But mm-hmm. in fact, all they were were just you know, people taking their religion with them into slavery. Um, it's really interesting. Um, I know that, I mean, Harper Lee worked with Truman Capote on um, In Cold Blood, yeah. so she was like his research assistant, so to speak. Um, because and, and this friends. was meant to be her In Cold Blood. Yeah, it? this yeah. is meant to be her In Cold Blood. Um, I'd be very interested to see what happened with that mm. and why she never kind of took up that. Why do you suppose there's a sudden interest in, in Harper Lee? Like, I'm, I've noticed she's been in... Well, she's uh, you know, she, yeah. yeah, I mean, but like <laughs> recently. Other, like, yeah, recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah pro- probably that's why. But there, there seems to be a lot more fascination with her life now then, that she's yeah. dead <laughs> than, than before. Uh, and and well, this is one of the few cases. Yeah, I think that's because, you know, we found... Well, not we, but like they, mm. <laughs> people, found her... Um, you know her other novel, yeah. which was the and the Watchtower. Yeah, thing. the prequel chronologically to um, mm. but Tom actually, Mockingbird. but actually not a prequel. Yeah, yeah. And, and just a sort of like a like a first draft, yeah, a first draft abandoned. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's I think it's that as well. Mm. Like there was that happened, and then she died shortly thereafter. And I'm not sure when um, Casey Sepp mm. started this project, but um, it's interesting to think about like you know, her as a, as a true crime yes. writer, somebody who is engaged with true crime, somebody who's thinking about true crime. And I remember mm. To Kill a Mockingbird is about a crime. It is, yes. Um, so... I mean, it's, it's one of my favourite books, which is why I, you know, yeah. I was fascinated by Harper Lee as well, because yeah. I just love To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, it's such a, it's, such a, it's such a brilliant book, and she was mm. such an interesting person. And I think we are trying to, to like... Ever since those two things happened, mm. her death and and um, and it was the only book she published too. Which I think that's the I think that, that's, that's actually the issue. Yeah. yeah, like why did she not publish anything? Not publish that? anything else. You know, yeah. she had a very long life. Mm. She seemed to be well set up to be a writer. She was, mm. you know, she worked with with Jim Capote on the research in mm. Cold Blood. So you know, it's it's a kind of unanswered question. Yeah. Um, and perhaps the rest of this book, which I am, you know, listening to on the treadmill, um, <laughs> will answer that. But it's certainly, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. Okay. The audio book is great. Um, I'd highly recommend it. Oh, that sounds great. I might, I might um, see if I can get it, actually. Yes, well, listen to it. audio. Yeah. All right, well, <laughs> <laughs> my next one is um, one that we both listen to. Yes. Um, which is uh, one of the ones that I do find a little bit frustrating, but um, this one at least has some sort of resolution. Well, sort of. It's not. The it's not. podcast, it's, it's, it's a society. Yes. yes. So yeah. it's, it's called uh, Uncover, and it's the third season of Uncover, yeah. I think it is, called The Village. Yes. 
which is Canadian, Canadian podcast. Yeah. Um, loved the the host. Like I, I just love the way he, he approaches the material. Uh, so it starts off about a um, the capture of a serial killer in Toronto, mm-hmm. where I used to live actually for, for a little while. So I actually knew I was quite familiar with the places they were talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, who targeted uh, gay Muslim men or gay bearded men as well mm. uh, and was very, very prolific. Uh, so the podcast had me tricked a little bit because I, I thought I was listening about this case and then it took a detour and looked at the history of gay murders in mm. Toronto from the 70s, I think, uh, onwards. Right up until right up recently. To, yeah, yeah, recently because it was trying to link it to, um, oh, God, I've forgotten his name now, to this guy, uh, Bruce Bruce McAllister, mm. uh, trying to see whether he might have been the culprit behind some of these like unsolved, all, of them, all these yeah. unsolved mm-hmm. cases, uh, and because there, there might have been some very compelling evidence to that. Yeah. Um, now, before I go into my little rant, what, what did you think of it, Steph? I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it was um, well constructed. It gave me a sense of the community. It gave me mm-hmm. a sense of, um, you know, the the way in which murders of gay men were really just dropped by the police or, mm. or, or lumped in this category of gay murder where, you know, somebody became so enraged by um, a gay advance or, or, you know, a gay person that they had mm. to, to kill the person and therefore it was kind of, again, as with the sex worker stuff, you know, well, it's because of their lifestyle kind of thing. Um, yeah, so yeah. it was completely enraging. I really enjoyed listening to it though and I think it was really well done and really well produced mm. and I really like the kind of... Um, the way that the, the the host is part of the community, yes, and it just it just rang, rang so true. And I thought the um, the interviews with a lot of you know activists in the mm. community were really well done and really useful in in sort of understanding and, and how family and friends of the victims, family and friends of the victims. You really mm. understood how both how tragic it was and the these, impact that it had yeah, on the community. The, the impact it had on the community, how tragic these men's mm. lives were cut short, but also like that sense of a community who had been abandoned. Yes, yeah. You couldn't, like, everybody knew that these things were happening and they were jumping up and down. And mm. then the police turn it back on them and they say, well, you know, the community is not helping. And they're yeah. just jumping up and down and going, but we are helping. We mm. are giving you everything that we can and helping. And you're uh, you just know, even, even naming. Yes, Bruce McAllister. Bruce McAllister in various yeah. cases, which they just did not follow yeah. up on at all. Because basically, I think he was uh, named as a as somebody who they should be a person of interest. Yeah, or, or somebody that they're somebody they should they should, they should yeah. look into. Yeah, uh, and they ignored it, and three other men were killed. Yeah, before they finally captured him. It's and, just completely enraging. What was yeah. your rant on it? I have to know. Oh, okay. Well, it, it has to do with the enraging. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is <laughs> Aspect, very enraging. Yeah, yeah. It, it is one of those things. You know, I I don't enjoy being angry. You know, <laughs> I like to think of myself as not a particularly angry person, but I can. I, I get ang- um, I get angry at injustices, you know, mm-hmm. and I get angry as when... you should. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's one of those for me. It's like a powerlessness, like you know, I, I can't do anything. All I can yeah. just you know, do you is just... get angry. Yeah, <laughs> and so I feel, I feel very powerless from that perspective. I think um, my only little complaint, which isn't really much a complaint, because it has nothing to do with how well the podcast is actually done, it has more to do with my own approaches to things. Is that you know I was sold on the fact that it was going to be an investigation to Bruce McAllister, mm. uh, and then it turns out only the first episode and a little bit of the last episode looked at mm. Bruce McAllister, and the rest was actually about the history, which was absolutely fascinating. Mm. But that's where the enraging part starts to come yeah, in, because yeah, yeah. I'm looking then at 40 years of injustice that mm. um, has been perpetuated and um, sort of glossed over. Mm. You know, and, and so for me, I just sort of went, okay, well, I would have liked to have known that, you know, this was actually going to look into mm. the whole history rather than focus on, on Bruce McAllister. I, so, I was pleased, though, that he did that. Yeah. I it, would be less happy with it or less compelled by it if it was just about that one guy. Mm. Um, but, I mean, they don't they don't entirely lose track of it. No, no, they, don't, they, but, they always try yeah. to link it back. But um, yeah. I think my complaint was that ultimately by the end, it was inconclusive. Like you know, they couldn't yeah, link they it back. Couldn't work, yeah. they, they couldn't link it back to him. Uh, they tried, and and they couldn't. Uh, there was very compelling evidence. I mean, I like I I listened to every episode religiously because I was so hooked onto mm. it. But it did you know get me very angry throughout. Um, and I I love the focus. Like I just really love the fact that it paid a lot of respect to um, victims and to the community. And, yeah, yeah. And just sort of looked at. Um, it, it didn't try to place too much blame too, which I, I really liked, even though, you know, they, they probably could have blamed a little bit more. But it was just trying to look at, you know, well, how can we, you know, 
get the community integrated mm. and get the place to work with the community. And it didn't try to, um, it also tried to contextualize certain mindset as well, which I thought was very interesting. You know, mm. even when it interviewed um, police who were part of the original task force, uh, and they expressed their own, what we would see now as homophobic views. But, you know, the, the presenter then tried to contextualise that to say, well, but, you know, that, that sort of, you know, not that it was right, but, yeah, but that was, a, sort of, that was yeah. the mindset. But also, it, it, interestingly enough, many of those policemen who were quite homophobic mm. in their dealings with these cases have, have come to regret that. Yes. And said, you know, now I wouldn't react in that way. No. But then that was kind of just you know, the mm. way we thought. Well, well, the whole entrapment thing where, you know, they, they, they had a special, um, what was it, basement thing where they can just sort of view whether the men were having sex in the bathroom and then go yeah. and arrest them, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then it caused the, the tragic death of that um, that, that guy. Uh, that, that story broke my heart. It was, say. yeah, that was really, really sad. Yeah. yeah. I found so, the whole podcast. I mean, it's very heavy listening. It's very sad. It is very heavy. But, I mean... I, I really want these stories to be excavated. I'm sure there, and I know that there are similar stories in Sydney about, you know, gay well, bashings and, and murders and so forth. And I want more information about that. Well, it's very interesting you should say that because when I was listening to that, um, it reminded me of a Australian podcast I heard uh, months before that, um, produced by SBS called True Stories, Season 3. Oh, Steph, I am, Steph, I am. Steph hasn't heard of this one. <laughs> I haven't heard of this one, and I'm look. I'm and it is looking. It is looking moment. at the history of um, gay murders in Australia, right? Uh, and predominantly focusing on uh, in Adelaide, um, South Australia, but looking at it um, from you know across the country as well. Mm. But what fascinated me between these two podcasts is one particular word, which or, or one particular concept which seems to link both podcasts, which mm. is this idea of overkill. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, that these gay men were just killed in the usual way that they a were, lot of victims, they were overkilled. They, was, they were stabbed 50 to 100 times, you know. Like yeah, that's just, awful. Yeah, yeah, just repeatedly. Um, it's, not, it's not just simply killing somebody um, effectively anymore. It's killing them and then going above and beyond yeah, the like need to do so. It's a punishment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just subscribed. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only season three. It's season one and two about something yeah. else, but season three does does look at that. And again, it's another infuriating podcast because in Australia we see the exact same thing that was happening yeah. in Toronto as well. We see the police also ignoring these mm. calls. We see uh, the laws in Australia were again also very similar. There's the 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 gay. There's the problem of like exposing yourself as gay and outing yes. yourself. Yeah, I mean, even with the Bruce McAllister case, you know, the um, two of the men weren't publicly out. Yeah. In 2010 or whatever it was when, yeah. when this happened. And even some of the men, that was actually the problem, is that they fa- the, the victims mm. were not out. And so their families mm. weren't aware. Yeah. And, you know, they thought that they were, you know, happily married men and they yeah. were, you know, closeted. Um, gay men. So that was mm. another problem. Uh, they yeah. weren't even aware that they had this lot of... And know. they were immigrants as well. And they were immigrants, yes. Yeah. So yeah, so they, they were, they were marginalised and yeah. uh, sectionalised. Um, yeah. So it was uh, very, very sad yeah. from our perspective. Um, but also the same thing in Australia. We're, we're getting very similar... Uh, it's, you can almost trace it down to you know, the same pattern in the yeah. way that, that the killing occurs. Uh, there's almost this hatred... Mm. Uh, and the idea also is that some of the hatred is sort of self-hatred too. So it was gay men killing yeah. other well, gay Bruce men. Yeah, Bruce McAllister was gay. Bruce McAllister was gay, and he hated his own you know, yeah. homosexuality. Um, so, but that actually says more about society yes. than it does about the... That's why it's society's fault, not Yes. The podcast. <laughs> the podcast is very, very well done. Yes, it was these, just enraging because it's... it's exactly. Because the world is awful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but yes, it, <laughs> it, it shows a very bad portion of, yes, of the world, of the world yeah. yes. uh, and interestingly enough you know as I said I, I used to live in Toronto and I've got a friend in Toronto when I asked him about the, the whole history and how mm. aware he as a, a native was of, of this history is so, and he said yeah he was very much aware of it it's not something you know mm. quiet or secret or hidden he even mentioned that um, uh, in the last gay um, March the police were um, not invited Right, because the, the community, because of that. yeah, community was still very, very angry right, over this. So, so this healing, you know, it, it's slowly healing, but you know, there's still yeah, it's still not, it's still not there. Yet. It's still yeah. not there yet. So there's still this this distrust, and for me, that's very sad. You know, what happens to a community where they can't tr- trust the the enforcers of 
of the law. What, well, for anyone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah as, as, well, you know. I'm very cynical about the police. Well, you know, you're white, you're straight and I know that and, is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm in a position of relative privilege, but a lot of people aren't. I've just, I've listened to too much true crime and read too much true crime to be trustful. Yeah. Well, I'm trusting of the police. I'm, I'm more hopeful, you know. I always think I'm that very cynical. I know, I know. I'm more hopeful, and, and it saddens me when, when I sort of see these cases where I think, well, you know, these people are employed specifically to help and defend the community, and, and yet they do more harm. Yeah, yeah and, and yet they're very selective in who they defend and who they protect. Yeah. And that for me is sad. You know, and that brings us back to the whole Jack the Ripper case, you know. Again, mm-hmm. sex workers are also yeah, marginalised they're, they're, yeah. in the same way. And I think there's been a shift in true crime to thinking about, you know, how people are victimised because of all of these socioeconomic factors. You know, it is women, it is sex workers, it is gay men, it is gay refugee men yes. um, who, you know, have multiple intersections of disadvantage that yeah. are often the victims because, you know, their stories aren't taken seriously, they're not yeah. given a, a platform. Um, you know, or they just outrightly reject it. As, yeah. you know, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we won't follow that up. Yeah, they're, they're sex workers. They're probably just, you know, ran yeah. off somewhere else. I mean, we'll... imagine, like, you know, think about the cases that have gotten really huge kind of media coverage. They're usually mm. like the murders of, of, you know, small white children, mm. you know, pretty, you know. Yeah, the, um, the, the Madeleine McCann's yeah. or, you know, the Gemini Ramsey's, you know, the, 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 the photogenic kind of um, mm. socially... I don't know, admired mm. kind of victim versus the, you know, the sex worker, the, the gay refugee who mm. is who has a secret life that his family doesn't know about, you know, yeah. that... Which is kind of sad because it, it, it suggests that, you know, if there's anything at all about your life that society doesn't approve of, you suddenly don't get the kind of attention that yeah. other people and should get. and your murder get. gets flipped into, yeah. like, well, you know, if they hadn't been like that, they wouldn't be murdered. Yeah. You know, like even Which, with the, you know, puts it back on the victims and say, well, you know, it was, it was your fault for being off that... Well, look at the murders that are happening in Melbourne. That they, they, they just happened in Melbourne. You know, mm. she was a homeless um, woman, so therefore, you know, they didn't care as much. It, it's not a. It's not a. Or, or it's con- or the mm. way that it's conceptualised is, you know, if she wasn't homeless. And part of the problem is that um, a lot of these killers often target these people because they know, because they know. that this is a weakness in. They're vulnerable. Their, yeah, they're vulnerable. They're and, not taken seriously. And nobody follows up. You know, so if a homeless person, the um, uh, the assumption is they don't have anybody who cares or loves. Them, so nobody's going to follow up whether they, they've gone yeah. missing or, you know, um, so there won't be any attention paid to it. That's why I love true crime, really, because it's actually about, like, you know, the old kind of adage in crime scholarship is that crime is the diagnosis of what's wrong with society. Mm. Um, and it's actually not just about sort of the vicarious thrills of reading about bad things happening to people, but it's actually about, like, social issues, social histories, marginalisation, disadvantage, and all that sort of thing. Um, I think we should go one more each okay. and then wrap up. Yeah, right. So I'm going to talk about, because we've been talking for a long time, and we have to do, you know, episode yes. three of this series. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to talk about White Lies. It's a new one by, um, a new oh. podcast by NPR. <laughs> um, it's just, I think, three episodes or two episodes in. Um, it's about... It's four now. I think it's four. Like four, okay, yeah. yeah. I've listened to all of them except for the one that sort of just came out. Mm. Um, it's about the murder of a um, civil rights activist. Mm. Um, is it Alabama? It's Alabama. Uh, Selma. Mrs. Yeah. Selma, yeah. Yeah, so it's Alabama. Yeah. Um, and he was, um, so there's these three white civil um, rights activists. They've gone down to take part in the civil rights movement, gone down to the South. And um, one of them is killed by a group of um, white men who are angry about the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, white supremacists. Yeah, white supremacists. And he. it's about the trial of these men and how the men were ultimately acquitted mm. of murder even though it is quite clear that they that they murdered um him and and the reason that they were acquitted is because um white civil rights activists were conceptualized as sort of traitors to the white race such mm. as it is um and it's you know it, it explores what happened in the trial but it also explores this conspiracy theory that was um that was sort of constructed for the trial and he still believed amazingly to this day that the civil rights movement needed a white martyr and so mm. they actually killed this white man in order to um you know gain support and that it was you know a kind of false flag operation i mean it's so enraging the story is so 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 enraging mm. but i'm finding it deeply compelling because it's a story that i did not know about um 
And it's just the fact that this is a story that still holds currency in certain circles is just mm. wild. Um, you know, there's two narrators and it's a bit kind of odd the way they sort of talk to each other and about <laughs> each other at times. Like, I don't think it's a perfectly constructed podcast. There's something about, like, I'm not sure why there are two narrators and I don't really know, apart from the fact that they're from the area. I'm not sure what and, they particularly bring to that story. And there's no uh, delineation between the two of them. I, so. I, I don't know what their names are. I can't tell them apart. They're yeah, just, like, random man to me. Like, they, they don't look <laughs> after certain things. They just seem, seem to... Yeah, they just seem to, like, read a yeah. sentence and then the other reads a sentence. I'm not sure why that is. So it's mm. not... I don't think it's a brilliantly constructed podcast. Mm. Um, and, but, but the story's important. The story, story. Is, is... Yeah, I just... For the story alone, not if not the presentation, I just mm. think it's super interesting and I'm enjoying listening to, you know, hearing how it, it unfolds and it just, it, it's sort of relevant to my kind of social interests in, in true mm-hmm. crime and, and the fact that there's such a legacy of this and they're setting yes. there, but the problem is I think that they're setting out to solve it, to you yes. know, come up with the evidence that will convince everybody. Mm. I don't think people are going to be convinced because no. I don't think that type of person is interested in being convinced. Mm. The type of person that believes this rubbish is the type of person who is, you, you could wave you know, evidence in their face for the rest of the day and they're not going to believe it because mm. they're not acting in good faith. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I've i listened to one and a half episode. And, and you I, rage quit. Yeah, I rage quit. So <laughs> I, I, do you I, rage quits like so much? <laughs> I, I do, you know, I just I just hate being angry. Uh, and this one... I, it, I, it gives me strength. It No, no it just makes me frustrated. How is my, my runs? Oh, I well, listen to most of these on the treadmill and so I get angry and I run really fast. See, I drive. So it's a bad idea for me to drive yeah, very fast like, and just go hit the, yeah. Yeah, hit the accelerator. No, yeah. um, so for me, I think I think halfway through the second episode when they were talking about um, of the um, the attorney general coming up with a brilliant idea to um, to remove bias from the court by having all the juries uh, admit whether they believe that white is superior mm. to black, and all the juries says yes, no, that's so true, and the the judge allows it. Yeah, it's like no, fine. no, you can't allow that kind of bias. It's like yeah, that bias is fine. But I'm like no, no, no. I know it is. It is. It's wild. It's it's illogical. Yeah. See, for me, yeah. it's illogical. And you think you know, well, these are meant to be very, very. You know, if you're a judge, you're meant to be a very smart, educated. Yeah, but this, is, this is Jim Crow South. I know, but yeah. but how did you get to a position where you're not even seeing logic anymore? If you're looking at a case where you know um, prejudice, yeah, I know. Mm. But prejudice is you know uh, it's key to the case. Yeah, you can't have. A jury, uh, a jury who's completely prejudiced. But they, but yet, and yet they, but yet it happens all the time. Yet it happens all the time, and yet you know. Is it allowed. any better now? I think it's it's better. It's certainly better than it was back then. Oh yeah, yeah. There yeah. are still issues now. Oh yeah, it's and, still deep. And in fact, it reminds me of um, that case that again I also rage quit that you recommended the um, uh, the in the dark series. The, the, uh, How could you rage? That is oh, the, I think no, that is the no, best no, podcast. No. I honestly think that is the best true crime podcast oh, of all time. I put it above Serial. In the, in the Dark se- Season S-Town. 2, I think it was. No, no, that uh, is the best. What's his name? Something Flowers. Um, Curtis Flowers. Curtis Flowers. Oh, my God. That is the best true crime series that has but, ever been. But see, it's it's for me the same thing. You know How, how could you have, in this day and age, um, a, a system that accepts a completely white Jury convicting a black man Completely. on no evidence. Yeah, and, and I'm just there going, no, no, I racism. I, I, the answer is racism. Yes, I know, but you know, <laughs> how could we? How could the educated people in this world allow that to happen? Racism. Racism. <laughs> Education does not does not insulate you from racism. No, it doesn't insulate. But you know, for me, I would like to think that it's a step in the right direction. And yeah, so certainly. That, but that, that if you're educated, you should be able to see beyond your yeah, own that's prejudices. Not, that's not the world thought. Yeah, I know. See, but I'm, I'm such an the, optimist. You if know, you start with base load of cynicism <laughs> that people are terrible, like I do, then you can only ever be pleasantly surprised when they're not. No, because um. <laughs> I'm actually more surprised when when they are racist, to be honest, because I just don't see the the world that way. So that's why when I listen to these podcasts and you know, read about these things, I get so angry because I'm like, you know, that's not the world that I see a lot of. I see a lot of goodness in in, in people, um, and I see a lot of desire to progress. Come to the cynical bad side. Yeah, but but you know, I think they're the minority. You know, you may disagree with me, but I th- I think they're the minority. I think know? there's a lot of racism <laughs> in the world, and well, it does not surprise me in the slightest. Well, there is a lot of racism in the world, but this kind of um, uh, I don't know what you can call it. Um, sort of severe racism or um, structural disadvantage. lethal, I guess. Yeah, lethal it is racism. Lethal. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, this is a man who's been tried six times for the same thing, mm. sitting in jail on death row for a murder that there is absolutely no evidence that suggests mm. he did it. In fact, like, it's absurd. The In the Dark is so good because it just systematically <laughs> dismantled everything about that case. But, you know, so... so There's for, nothing left. Yeah, so for me, that's, that's sort of, you know, when you ask the question of, you know, have we improved, I guess, you know, that case... Suggest so, so. That we haven't improved as much. But, yes. the, but the fact that he hasn't been executed, mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, the high yeah, court... Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, the High Court. And it's likely that the High Court will overturn him again. Yes. The Supreme Court, rather. The Supreme Court, um, yes. Yeah. So, so, so it shows that there is progress. That the, there is that progress. The country as a still, whole, you know. It's still very it's, bad. Th- it's still very much a problem. So I do think that, you know, it is yeah. uh, definitely a very topical yeah. um, podcast. And it's definitely an important story that we should yes. uh, look at. But just that frustration. You get so. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, before we break up, um, yeah. one more text will... Piece of One more podcast. True crime. Yeah. Property from you. And uh, something that you didn't rage quit, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> so one of my loves at the moment is Criminal Broads. Criminal Broads. Love it. I just absolutely love Criminal Broads. And I love, um, what's her name, Tori Telford, who, who... There's an interview by Hayley Rubenhold oh, on that in a, okay. in a more recent episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, my only problem with Criminal Broads is I love her original content. I love all the cases that she covers. I hate... Her interviews. Yeah, her interviews are not great. But when she when she's scripted, I don't think she's she sort of does as well when she's unscripted. But her mm. so the we should say the conceit is just yeah. you know a, a female murderer mm. or criminal every week. Although although there's there's a new sub um, series that she's doing in criminal broads that I love called um, uh, it's crime crime fighting broads. Yes. So she's also focusing on, on people who are yeah, yeah on the flip side, which yeah. is really interesting. So her whole um, idea behind this particular podcast is to look at women uh, in crime in particular. Yes. So either committing crimes or solving, solving crimes. crimes to some degree uh, and putting more focus, I suppose, on women in crimes, which I find absolutely fascinating because there is yeah. this assumption a lot of times that women are often victims or too weak in a way to be involved. And some of these women were, you know, some of the nastiest people you'll, you'll ever meet. I mean, the, the story of that Colombian drug lord i know she terrifies the life out of it wild i know and like and also the perception about female killers is that they just like do the sort of quote-unquote female yeah that in a way they're the poison yeah i think i think she really the um, poisoners yeah. yeah i think she really challenges this idea of the um the meek Female, as if females can't be as brutal, as violent as well, men I mean, can be. And look be. in Australia, like, you know, there's been a lot of interesting work over the past couple of years about um, Tilly Devine mm. um, and what's the other one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Kate yeah, Lee. Kate, Kate, yeah, yeah, Lee. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Razor Gang. Mm. Um, Which she also does an episode of, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In, the 19, in the 1920s and 30s in Sydney. You know, these were women running like mobs. And these were strong, powerful. These are, yeah. They're not poisoning anyone because they want to do it in a fem- feminine way they no. are they are in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know terrifying um, i mean but uh, this is the part that really surprised me because i've always been fascinated by um, representations of, of females in particular strong female because we don't see a lot of that um, and also on the flip side of that too you know uh, lethal violent females because we're always getting the impression that females are meant to be nurturing they're meant to be loving they're not capable of these things that these nasty men are capable of Uh, and what i love about this series is that it is putting it on a very equal playing field yeah females can be just as violent just as vicious uh, as men can be but it's interesting to think about also too what prompts that because often it is um it's not always that, you know, they've been horrendously depressed, but no. sometimes it is, you know, they're yeah. in social circumstances. Like the, the, that, the, that bandit queen one. I mean, she, yeah, that absolutely. was a the, brilliant episode. It was a brilliant episode. And you mm. saw how that they end up in a life of crime. And those stories, are, are, they are similar, so similar to how men end up in lives yes. of crime because they're, they're either brought up in atmospheres where crime mm. sort of flourish or they're, you know, poor or they're marginalised or they're, some kind of oppression is happening in their lives and so the only way out of it mm. is to, is is to you know, put, do yeah. do something bad and then become further involved in that world. Yeah, and I think what I like about the series also is it's very refreshing to um, hear these stories that you don't hear covered in. in yes. So a lot of the podcasts that I'm um, turning towards these days are more the stories that are lost yeah. in the archives, the stories that aren't told because they're not famous like, I don't know, Ted Bundy or Jack the Ripper or, yeah. you know, the Golden State Killer or anything like that. Yeah, they're, These, the, yeah. they're the lesser known ones. And yet um, they deserve that kind of attention that yeah. the other ones do too, um, purely for the fa- uh, fact that 
these lives need to be remembered. Yeah, in, absolutely. To some degree. Yeah. Um, so I really like uh, her scripted episodes, but when she goes on interviews, I just have to turn it off. Because, yeah, they're a bit, they're a bit messy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she turns into this giggling schoolgirl, which is so unusual because in yeah, her scripted she podcast, come off that way at all. no, I, mean, I just she, think that she maybe isn't as confident. In yeah, that. possibly. Yeah. So I think. Stay to the scripted stuff because stay for the scripted stuff maybe because they're fantastic. Yeah. They're, they're really, really brilliant. And uh, she wrote so. an interesting article too about mm. to go back to Jack Ripper, which we awesome <laughs> to go back in this um, in this podcast um, about the theories that Jack the Ripper was a woman and where that oh. came from. And I mean, look, it's almost certain that he wasn't a woman. Yeah. But um, she she just wrote this interesting look at why those theories gained currency among certain people, mm. and that was really interesting. Um, her writing is really good. Yeah, I think, you know... I want to get her book, Lady yeah, Killers. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think you get that sense when you hear her scripted episodes because, you know, she comes across very um, inform- informed yeah. and... and she places things in, in a really yeah. interesting context. Yes, yeah. uh, and she's got really good uh, critical uh, abilities, you know, so you yeah, can Yeah, she, she, can, she kind of distills it yeah. for you. Yeah, absolutely. and so, you know, the, the, the scripted episode is just absolutely brilliant, um, nothing like the, the actual interview, so... If you do stumble across one of the interviews as the first episode, that's not what <laughs> yeah. the, re- the rest of the series is like. So just listen to... You know, give it a chance. Yeah, give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is enough for today because I have a few ideas about what I want to talk about for the next one, but I have to read the book first. Oh, okay. um, so I've, I've got a long list of yeah, things. Yeah, I know, I know. So we, we can, we'll come back next time. We've been talking for almost an hour. Oh, we've only got through okay. three. I know. Oh, gosh. We've watched... <laughs> Too much true crime. Yes. Anyway, so you've listened to another hour of the <laughs> Stephanie Jimmy True Crime Variety Hour, um, <laughs> which is now a subset of From the Lighthouse. Um, if you could please read and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very, very helpful. Um, if you've got any tips about other true crime things that we should be watching mm. or listening or reading, I want to watch that new Ava DuVernay thing about the Central Park Five that's on Netflix. Oh. Um, so that's that's on my list when oh, they see us. Okay, because um, yeah. one of the other podcasts I was going to recommend also does an episode on... On, on the Central Park Five, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's for next time. Yeah. Um, so keep that in your head. Yep. Um, <laughs> <We'll do. laughs> so if you've got any other tips, you can send it to us at fromthelighthouse.org and we'll see you again in a week. Bye, Jimmy. See ya. Bye.